This program is brought to you by Stitcher Smart Radio. Download their free mobile app and use the promo code BEST during activation for a chance to win $100. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, Counterspin, Media Matters, On the Media, Citizen Radio, The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, and Comedian Lee Camp with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks. And this is another episode with a little bit of profanity. In the aftermath of, uh, uh, of trying to process our latent 9-11 grief, uh, mixed with a cathartic serotonin ecstasy bath of getting bin Laden, the pundits have finally been able to crystallize this moment. The killing of Osama bin Laden by U.S. Special Forces is certainly a defining moment for President Obama. A close-up of the president in the Situation Room yesterday, a defining moment for his presidency. It could be the defining moment in Barack Obama's presidency. It could be and it will be. <laughs> Until Obama's no-holds-barred death match with Kim Jong-il on the moon. <laughs> moon fight! Moon fight! Moon! <laughs> that be a cool fight? On the moon. <laughs> Pundits across the spectrum vacillated between whether this could be a defining moment for Obama or if it absolutely was a defining moment. Sometimes doing so within the head of the same person. No doubt the killing of bin Laden will be the defining moment in President Obama's first term, at least so far. Five minutes later. Will killing Osama bin Laden prove to be a defining moment for this president? That's Chris Matthews asking himself the question that he himself had answered five minutes earlier on his own program. Although in his defense, obviously, it's tough to keep a thought in a head that large. You know, there's, there's so much open space for thoughts to roam. You know, he's really got less of a head, more of a free-range idea farm. <laughs> and to be fair to the media, getting bin Laden is a momentous event and would have been a defining moment of anyone's presidency. It's not like the media throws a phrase like that around for pretty much any event. The lame duck session in Congress has really distinguished his presidency right. and has been the defining moment of his presidency. Tomorrow could be a defining moment for President Obama. Could be a defining moment for his presidency. The deal that he struck on extending the Bush era tax cuts. Is this actually a defining moment for President Obama? Well, this is a defining moment for the Obama presidency. We'll see how it's going to It's going to be a defining moment for his presidency. Oh, yeah. I think this GM decision is going to be one of the defining moments of this Obama presidency. Afghanistan is the toughest issue he's faced. Could be a defining moment for this presidency. No question about it. Earlier today, the president had lunch. Could it have been the defining sandwich? <laughs> or perhaps the yogurt shake, his presidency's defining beverage. Mm -hmm. Of course, look, any one of you with a television show and team of writers, researchers, and I think what is the largest selection of illegal underage Mongolian interns... <laughs> Any one of those could build a montage of different people in the media, all suggesting different moments or defining ones in Obama's presidency. The real test would be to locate Pundit Zero, one newscaster bold enough to only use this phrase to describe anything. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the definer. 
just voted today to deny unemployment benefits. I mean, isn't this somewhat of a defining moment for the White House? Why is Social Security even on the table? This is another one of those defining moments. This could be the defining moment of his presidency. I think this is a defining moment for the president. Folks, we are at a defining moment in this health care debate. I view this as a real defining moment. Is this a defining moment for progressives? Unlimited corporate campaign contributions. I believe this is a defining moment. This is going to be a defining moment in mining history in this country. President Obama gives a speech tomorrow that may be, I don't know, is it the defining moment in his first term as president? I think it is. For know that while you rest, one man is out there making sure that everything that happens is of equal yet urgent import. Define her away. And finally, there was some congressional debate over extending certain parts of the Patriot Act last week. Good luck figuring out what any of it meant, though, especially if you were relying on TV news to give you some sense. But it's not that there was no coverage. On May 27th, NBC Nightly News anchor Brian Williams presented this special investigation. Back in D.C., a four-year extension of the revised Patriot Act passed by Congress was signed into law minutes before midnight last night. You would be correct to ask, with the president overseas, how exactly did he sign the bill in Washington? Well, by machine. The so-called auto pen used by about the last dozen U.S. presidents. They signed their name initially by hand onto a template. Then the machine recreates it countless number of times exactly. And in this case, the signature had the force of law. That was NBC's Brian Williams posing the question we were all correctly asking about the Patriot Act. Wait, you wanted to know about potential threats to privacy or civil liberties? That's the wrong question. The real issue here is the president's magic pen. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. Last week, Media Matters launched the Dropbox campaign, an effort to educate companies on the vitriol and bigotry they may be sponsoring with their advertising dollars. Look, I think there is a gay and secular fascism in this country that wants to impose its will on the rest of us, is prepared to use uh, violence, to use harassment. You had allowed, if, this, if the <laughs> California Supreme Court had allowed the gays to marry, then anybody could have gotten married. You could have married a duck. Because of their good record with the LGBT community, we first asked travel agency Orbitz to drop Fox. No fan of criticism, Fox News was predictably upset. I think Media Matters 
is a political organization. It is not really a journalistic watchdog organization. This has been true for some years, and now it is, it's become so obvious that its only purpose now in life is not to criticize journalism in any general sense, but to attack Fox News. When AOL spent $315 million to acquire the Huffington Post a month ago, the deal raised many questions. The first one was, 350 what? Then came lots of speculation about who won and who lost. But what interested on the media was what the deal meant to the future of journalism and what now to make of this thing, this phenomenal thing, the Huffington Post. The only way to begin, I'm sorry to say, is with everything about the HuffPo that makes traditional journalists want to puke. Be patient. It isn't a short list. Beginning with, HuffPo is kind of yellow. Not cowardly yellow, sensationalist yellow. As I write this piece, the blaring lead headline is, I kid you not, time is running out. Approaching Meteor? No, just a procedural deadline for federal financial reform rules in three months. Last week, they scared the bejeebers out of me with, Texas is burning border to border. The wildfires there did claim a million acres, but at least 99.4% of Texas was unconsumed by flames. And the rest of the layout is pretty bombastic as well. It is a visual presentation that I think might charitably be described as a combination of an old-fashioned afternoon tabloid and a ransom note. Los Angeles Times media critic Tim Rutan. As a longtime detractor, Rutan is one-stop shopping for HuffPo's shortcomings. Item two, aggregation. A large percentage of content on the Huffington Post summarizes and links to material from other publications, providing HuffPo for free what others have paid dearly to produce. Aggregation is the elevation of kleptocracy to a business model. You're simply stealing things that other businesses, other media organizations have paid to gather. Yes, HuffPo redirects traffic to the source, but... Those readers usually make a U-turn right back to HuffPo for more of the web highlights HuffPo then sells advertising against. Putting aside whether this digital age fair use is really fair, Rudin says... People who buy into this notion that information wants to be free, that free information is somehow in the DNA of the web, whatever that means, people who buy into that notion are simply committing themselves to a suicide pact. If that notion prevails in a decade, there won't be any serious journalism to aggregate. Ah, seriousness. Much of HuffPo's traffic is generated thanks to the right rail, filled with what they call click candy. As I write this, the world's ten creepiest abandoned cities, Liz Taylor's last husband speaks out, and the amazing pain-killing properties of olive oil. Indeed, the entirety of the Huffington Post is edited with preferences of the reader very much top of mind. Favoring subjects already trending high in online interest is called search engine optimization. Another term might be auto-pandering. This notion of tailored news 
is really a form of informational narcissism. Once again, Tim Rutan. It allows you to narrow down the scope of your news consumption to those things you already know or believe you know. And what it doesn't do is let you see the story that you never imagined you'd be interested in and that somehow broadens your perspective, enriches your life, makes you a better citizen, gives you something to think about that afternoon. None of these is a trifling concern, nor are the remaining controversial HuffPo quirks. It's building up a $315 million asset through the labors of unpaid bloggers, and it's pronounced liberal slant, raising questions of journalistic credibility. But let's also consider some other untrifling facts. For one, AOL just paid a third of a billion dollars to shape all of its content in the image of HuffPo founder-in-chief, Ariana Huffington. Why? Because her website draws 38 million unique visitors a month, visitors who don't seem too put off by hyperbolic headlines. AOL expects HuffPo itself to generate $100 million in revenue next year and 30% operating margins. Those are the kinds of numbers newspapers used to generate before they were propelled into a death spiral by the very digital revolution being exploited by websites like HuffPo. Meanwhile, the institution evolves. Ariana has been on a hiring binge, bringing in talented reporters and editors from the New York Times, Newsweek, Rutan's own L.A. Times, and elsewhere. The newsroom is now at 200 employees on its way, says founding editor Roy Seacoff, to doubling. And while they will never blanket the field with staff reporters, they will report the news that matters the HuffPo way, through live blogs and tweets, camera phone video, and other tools that turn eyewitnesses into citizen journalists. Roy Seacoff. You know, there's many ways to bear witness. I'm not saying that having seasoned reporters on the ground is not an extraordinarily effective way, and that's great, and I welcome it, and we'll link to it, but I think that there is a bearing witness 2.0. There's other ways of getting stories and finding the truth behind stories. Not to mention the Web 2.0 way of not letting the published story be the end of the story. Other news organizations grudgingly host audience comments. HuffPo assiduously cultivates the commenter community with social media mechanisms for following and becoming a fan of others in the HuffPo sphere. A column about potential GOP presidential aspirant Rick Santorum Thursday evening generated more than a thousand comments in three and a half hours. Shouldn't news organizations learn a business lesson from that? Jeff Jarvis, director of the Tone Knight Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism at the City University of New York. How to engage an audience and how to create and engage in a conversation that enables people other than just journalists to talk. If people are spending more time on Huffington Post, what's Huffington doing right that they're doing Wrong. Jarvis gets steamed when mainstream journalists sneer at HuffPo, such as when the New York Times' David Carr, upon the release of four Times journalists from armed captors in Libya, mused in a tweet about Ariana trying to, quote, aggregate them back to safety. I don't think that line works anymore when we look at what Andy Carvin at NPR retweets from Libya and Egypt and Tunisia, where the witnesses to these major stories are also putting themselves in harm's way and losing their lives. You know, virtue is not a business model. At least these days, not a profitable one. 
Maybe that's the source of so much journalistic resentment along the lines of ice men gloomily witnessing the advent of refrigeration. HuffPo's Roy Seekoff isn't unsympathetic, but that doesn't stop him from sticking his glass into the crushed ice dispenser of his Viking. Now, call me a destroyer, but I still would like to get my ice that way as opposed to having the guy hollowed up for flights of stairs on his shoulder. Me, I'm not sure what to make of the HuffPo phenomenon. I guess I'm hoping that it becomes the best of both worlds, a robust news-gathering organization that also exploits the knowledge and labors of a hyper-connected community. So, yeah, I'm hoping for the best, but also prepared to heed the lead headline that a few hours later replaced Time is Running Out. It was about potential flooding in the Deep South. In giant capital letters, it screamed, Bracing for the Worst. There's never been a better time to check out Stitcher for your mobile device. When you activate their free app using the promo code BEST, you'll get instant access to thousands of podcasts streamed directly to you without syncing. You'll be entered automatically to win $100, and you'll help support Best of the Left at no cost to you. No reason not to check it out, so head to your preferred app market and download the free Stitcher app just named the Best App Ever for your iPhone, Android, BlackBerry, or Pre, and be sure to use the promo code BEST during activation. File this one under things you were already pretty sure about. Foxhead Roger Ailes doesn't like gay people. Or Muslims. Okay, you're not shocked, but the new article by Tim Dickinson and Rolling Stone is still revealing in its details about the beliefs of the man running the network that insists on calling itself fair and balanced. According to the piece, Ailes hated being in a second-floor office at Fox because it was close to the street, and he has a morbid fear that gay activists are going to physically attack him. Maybe for the time he grabbed a gay demonstrator at an anti-Rudy Giuliani protest by the throat and shoved him out a door, who knows? Ailes insisted on bomb-proof glass in his street-facing windows, telling a staffer, quote, they'll be down there protesting, those gays, close quote. And not just those gays, but those Muslims, or people who look like they maybe could be. The piece describes the elaborate security that News Corp pays to carry Ailes from his home to his office. Well, one of his homes. Ailes' country house in upstate New York is surrounded by empty houses that he bought up in order to create a security perimeter. What it's all about, and keep in mind this is the head of a news outlet, is that Ailes is certain he's a top target for Al-Qaeda, telling friends, you know they're coming to get me. Naturally, he carries a gun, and he has a monitor in his office that lets him see outside his door. Once, Ailes saw a dark-skinned man in what he perceived as Muslim garb, perhaps he and Juan Williams have conferred on this, and he put Fox News on lockdown, yelling, What the hell? This guy could be bombing me. The man turned out to be a janitor. Perhaps in theory, someone so drenched in paranoia and fear-mongering could run a news network that didn't reflect that. In reality, not so much.
This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Bradley Herring. Glenn Beck may be departing Fox News, but Bill O'Reilly is starting to sound a lot like the disgraced shock jock. Far left wants a government to control the economy, not private industry. That's what behind the New York Times, Soros, and other big left operations. Very simply, they want a recast of the entire American economic system. And the only way that can possibly happen is if the system crashes like it did in 1929. In theory, an economic collapse could allow a new system to rise, a quasi-socialistic system whereby Washington would dole out the jobs and money. And Beck was quick to applaud O'Reilly for playing follow the leader. This is a huge, huge turning point for Bill O'Reilly. Huge. And I think for the country. Because now it's no longer it's no longer crazy. Now it's now now you've got it into the, the mainstream of Bill O'Reilly. Roger Ailes is fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we kind of already knew this. So, Roger Ailes was... Rupert Murdoch, uh, like, owns Fox News, created Fox News, and, like, his whole media empire and Fox in general. News Corps. News Corps. Yeah. Uh, but Roger Ailes was the, the guy who was put in charge of Fox News. He's the president of Fox, correct. So, there's a new profile that was written by Rolling Stone about him that's really super interesting, and I recommend everybody go check it out. It's in the, the June edition of Rolling Stone. And in it, the uh, the reporter essentially depicts Roger Ailes as having overtaken Rupert Murdoch at this point. Mm. Rupert Murdoch is afraid of him, and Roger Ailes has gone rogue. Oh, my God. So, But there's all of these great anecdotes that really you know show you how crazy he is for example first of all he believes al-qaeda and the gays are trying to assassinate him whoa uh he has a huge security detail Wait, can we back up he thinks that because al-qaeda it's separate they've, they've killed people like i get it mm-hmm. he believes that pro-gay protesters are going to attack him are going to kill him and maybe kill him hmm. but um He's crazy. And there's a really funny example of this that I'm going to read. Um, Once, after observing a dark-skinned man in what Ailes perceived to be Muslim garb, he put Fox News on lockdown. Whoa. What the hell, Ailes shouted. This guy could be bombing me. The suspect terrorist turned out to be a janitor. Up, just cleaning up after him. Roger tore up the whole floor, recalls a source close to Ailes. He has a personal paranoia about people who are Muslim, which is consistent with the ideology of his network. Holy shit. But this guy is... And I mean, you had always heard stories about how crazy he was. I mean, he's been on the political scene since he worked for Nixon, you know? Right. But he believes this shit mm-hmm. he truly believes this shit and that's rupert what murdoch's just a money machine well that's what the profile shows that rupert murdoch and he is now on his third wife and his third wife is a little bit liberal and his children are liberal now and uh they're trying to get him to change his mind about certain things and rupert has softened his position on certain things like he now says global warming is real right which how sad is that? That it has to be a softening of a position. Like, I know. all right, I'll listen to science. But for Rupert Murdoch, that's a big change of heart. Um, but Rupert Murdoch says Roger truly believes this stuff. He's not 
Rupert's just a money machine. He's just doing it to make a lot of money. But Roger fully believes the shit. And I don't know what's more dangerous. You yeah. know, like the guy who actually believes the shit or the guy who knows it's, you know. It's well, I mean, definitely BS. the guy who believes it because the guy who, the guy who's just trying to make money will, is willing to change his tune when those opinions are discredited. And you know what I mean? It's like, um, I mean, maybe though, but well, here's a good example. But so, it's not like Rupert canceled Fox news. No, but like, uh, so one of the main birthers who I think just wrote a book, like literally called like, where's your birth certificate or something <laughs> like that. Uh, he's now saying that Donald Trump is like part of the conspiracy. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Because like Trump's back down and you know, Trump claimed to read his book and then said he didn't read his book and all this stuff or wanted a copy of his book. And, uh, but that's just a really good example where it's like, no, Trump was doing it for business. Right. Trump was doing it because he wanted to be different. He wanted to get attention. He wanted more people to watch his show. He wanted to be considered a presidential candidate. He wanted to court the extreme right. And then once he found out it was bad for business, Trump's trying to now distance himself from all that stuff. Whereas this guy's a hardcore. Yeah, but in both cases, it's like the damage has been done with what Donald Trump did. Right. You know, like he can't reverse everything that he said and accused President Obama of. It's out there. It's done. Sure. And he did it not because he was standing up for any ideological purpose, but because he's an empty shell of a human being who will do anything to make money. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying he is Rupert Murdoch, whereas this other guy, the hardcore, is Roger Ailes. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm just still saying I don't know what's more detrimental. But anyway, I, I highly recommend that everybody check out the full profile. It's really well written. It's weird and disturbing, and it'll remind you of certain things. Like, for example... Uh, W's first cousin was working in the Fox News uh, newsroom when he called the election for uh, W. Yeah, and then all the other stations. And nobody thought that was... I mean, certain people thought it was weird, obviously, but if, if we just kind of accept that Fox is a propaganda machine now, yeah. and that is normal behavior. Well, and then the, the fact that we accept it as normal behavior proves that they are a successful propaganda machine. Exactly. And Ailes, I mean, obviously, as you might imagine, detests Obama. And he actually said that he wants the Obama administration, he wants it to be the Alamo. He really wants to destroy the Obama administration. Yeah. Well... Good luck destroying the Obama administration before the gay assassination squad comes after you. They're coming for you. You'll see the pink fedoras, but you won't be able to run. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. Hey, remember 
remember like a, like a week ago, uh, the president released his birth certificate and celebrated his newfound citizenship by having someone shoot Osama bin Laden in the face? It, it, it felt like the events were connected, like maybe we'd finally put all these ginned up and ridiculously overblown non-controversies, like the birth of thing, to rest. To focus on things that, that matter, winning the war on terror, those types of things, budget, fiscal things, getting things done. Well, I hope you enjoyed that period of our time. First Lady Michelle Obama is hosting a poetry reading, and one of her guests is raising a lot of eyebrows tonight. He's a Chicago poet, and he's a rapper who goes by the stage name Common. He's a Reverend Wright defender. He's, uh, it sounds like he's a promoter of cop killing. Uh, I, I've looked at his, some of his lyrics. They are raunchy, they are rough, they are raw. Uh, yeah, let's invite a misogynist to the White House. <laughs> Are we really doing this again? <laughs> For this guy, Common? The guy from the Gap ads? <laughs> the guy from the Queen Latifah rom-com? <laughs> Elmo's friend? That's the guy? That's the guy we're gonna do this for. That's your misogynist, copicidal, black supremacist. Hey, Fox News, have you told the people who work on foxnews.com yet? And I am here with Common. How you doing, Common? What's going on? How you doing? Your music is very positive, and you're known as the conscious rapper. How important is that to you, and how important do you think that is to our kids? Well, I guess that explains, I guess that explains foxnews.com slogan. Shh, Fox News doesn't realize we're here. <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, this two-time Grammy-winning vegetarian's invite to the White House has the Twitterverse very upset. And by Twitterverse, I don't mean people on Twitter, I mean twits. <laughs> Who took the time to ignore Common's entire body of work, save for one poem he wrote in 2007 that they appear to misunderstand. Killing over oil, burn a bush, cause for peace, he no push, no button. No weapons of mass destruction. How can we follow a leader when this is a corrupt one? Tell the law my Uzi weighs a ton. I walk like a warrior. From them, I won't run. He's talking about right popping else. guns, and I got the black strap to make the cops run. Uh, they watching me. I'm watching them. Then he uses Again, a couple of... Wait, 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 wait. We're gonna, when we roll together with a strap gun, we're going to be rocking them to sleep. That sounds like killing cops to sure, me. Listen. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. That sounds like killing All cops right. to me. Sound like killing cops so to you? No. Well, if you enjoyed that, you'll love this album of Fox News personalities uncomfortably ruining songs for many of your other favorite hip-hop artists. Now that's what those people call music. Now, those more explicit lyrics, the more explicit lyrics describing violent action uh, that, that Hannity was quoting, those lyrics actually end on the couplet, no time for that, because there's things to be done. Stay true to what I do so the youth dream come. Basically, what Common appears to be saying is, hey, you know that violence I was talking about earlier in my poem? Let's end that in our communities so our dreams can come true. It's a call for peace. But Hannity makes a good point. It sounds like killing cops to him. <laughs> and if Fox News stands for anything, it is a zero-tolerance policy for any individual who might have or actually did write a song about cop killing.
And happy birthday to rapper and actor Ice-T. He is 52. Well, that is, to be fair, that's different because Ice-T was not celebrating his, his birthday with Obama. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tyrone Gale. This week, Rolling Stone magazine published a scathing profile on Roger Ailes, the president of Fox News. So leave it to his close friend, Rush Limbaugh, to come to his rescue. Hit piece on Ailes. This paragraph, according to recent polls, Fox News viewers are the most misinformed of all news consumers. Consumers. Now, there's not a poll that says that. This is this guy's analysis of polls. It is his point of view that Fox News viewers are the most misinformed of all consumers. Actually, that's pretty much what the polls said. The study by the University of Maryland found that the Fox News viewers were much more likely to believe that their income taxes had gone up, which they hadn't, that most Republicans voted against TARP, which most of them voted for it, or that the president was not born in the United States, which he was. For these stories and more, visit MediaMatters.org. in Common's poem, killing over oil, burn a bush, because for peace he no push no button, appears to be a metaphorical call for violence against the president. And while it isn't, you could say it was. <laughs> It'd be like saying to the critics of the president, don't retreat, reload, you know, or drawing targets over your political opponents. Surely Fox wouldn't defend that type of incendiary language. We've heard Sarah Palin say that, that her supporters shouldn't relax or retreat, they should reload. And Which a is a very Alaskan-type term. Political rhetoric often uses military terms, holding your fire, search and destroy, that kind of thing. It's very sinister to me because I think there's an effort here to silence opposition voices. Mm. Anything to shut her down, shut me up, shut talk radio down, shut Fox News off. Then everything will be sunshine and lollipops. Oh, right! Like the Obama administration would allow us to have sunshine and lollipops. <laughs> More like SPF 50 and broccoli. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Maybe I should re-examine some of these lyrics. Maybe I'm being unfair by showing Fox News personalities holding a musician to a much higher standard of language and behavior than a potential presidential candidate. I mean, anybody who wrote a song with the lyric, first time I shot her, I shot her in the side, hard to watch her suffer, but with the second shot, she died. Or, early one morning while making my rounds, I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down. I mean, that is some hardcore shit. I hope a killer like that is never allowed anywhere near a president of these United States. Johnny Cash, the man in black. Major, please read the citation. Johnny Cash for his contributions to the music and entertainment industry.
heard you shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Hannity, what's the difference? What's the difference? Would you be this concerned about a musician who used the same type of rhetoric of violence about President Obama? If this was somebody that used the same type of rhetoric about violence against President Obama, I would be against it. Oh, if only we had the tape. <laughs> I mean, that would really make you look bad. It's too bad we spent all day having so much fun listening to old Johnny Cash albums because we love him and we love him and we were dancing all day. And so we didn't have a chance to find a tape that would be the absolute clearest. I'm kidding, we have it. His friend and frequent guest on the program, Ted Nugent, expressing his feelings towards Democratic presidential contenders Barack Obama and Hillary Rodham Clinton. Are you prepared to disavow this low No, I not? like Ted Nugent. He's a friend of you mine. <laughs> this isn't even fun anymore. I barely even get angry about this. I just feel sorry for you guys now. It took longer to play that clip than it took to find it. <laughs> We've actually started burying these tapes around the office just to make it sporting. <laughs> it's almost impossible to express how ridiculous this and you all are at this point. I don't want to wake up knowing I don't have a future. NPR is really concerned about accepting funding for an initiative to get public radio reporters in every state keeping tabs on state government. According to a piece by NPR Ombud Alicia Shepard, many think it's a worthy effort, but they're worried because the funder has, well, political views. Shepard cites one producer saying, I don't have a problem with people supporting particular causes, but I do have a problem when obvious partisanship spills over into your support of those causes. And Shepard seems to share that poorly defined unease, suggesting that the network should get some other funders on the project to alleviate perception problems. Who's the problematic funder? The Open Society Foundation, funded by George Soros. Soros, described darkly as having made his fortune in hedge funds and currency speculation, because media just hate that sort of thing, don't they? He does have political views, certainly, but it's interesting that in his case, that's seen as problematic on its face. Suffice to say, there are a number of other funders that, if NPR is truthfully concerned about perceptions of conflict of interest, they would be having identical qualms about. Unless, let's see, the Koch brothers, who own NPR-sponsored Georgia Pacific, don't support any causes or anything. 
and NPR sponsor Bank of America. They wouldn't have any interests that could be furthered by media coverage, would they? What about Morgan Stanley? What about Microsoft? We look forward to the day when NPR decides to stop living in fear of conservative and Republican criticism. It's hard to see how they can have any actual standards about funder conflicts until then. Some fascinating developments in conservative talk in America. Uh, first of all, it's plummeting. Glenn Beck has lost nine radio st outlets. Okay, he's lost a station in Philadelphia, which hurt him a lot. Bunch of stations in Connecticut, uh, but he lost one in New York. You have to understand, in, in radio, New York is gigantic. It's by for the most important market. It dwarfs all the other small markets combined in a lot of cases. So for him to lose New York is devastating for Glenn Beck. Now remember, he's also getting booted from TV, but like he was supposed to have this great radio empire. That isn't that great. Rush Limbaugh is having some trouble with his ratings. For example, uh, as John Avalon points out in the Daily Beast, in Charlotte, North Carolina, he's dropped from 6th to 12th. Uh, in Oregon, he's dropped from 4th to 8th. He's dropped in San Francisco. He's dropping all over the place. In fact, conservative talk is doing so poorly that the first station who carried conservative talk full-time, KBI in Seattle, has dropped the format entirely. They've gone back to music because they say it's not working. WABC is reconsidering in New York. They are the flagship for conservative talk. If they change, oh, the, all of these guys are in a world of hurt. So there's all of these developments lately. But here's another interesting uh, part of this. Former pro program directors and current program directors, and guys that I've met at these conventions, etc., and I know where they're coming from. For decades, they bragged about how awesome conservative talk radio was. All of a sudden, they're in mid-backpedal. Listen to Gabe Hobbs. He is the former head of programming for Clear Channel. Clear Channel. That put all those conservative talk guys on there. He's still a radio consultant. He says, quote, uh, the numbers that NPR is drawing clearly portends uh, to something. I've seen it myself in research. It's the tone, it's the approach. Some people don't want to be engaged at that loud, angry level, that hard right or left ideological approach where it's my way or the highway. You got a guy who programmed all those conservative stations now talking about how NPR is the right model? And then he says, oh, both the hard right and the hard left. Who's the hard left? <laughs> I mean, they're not Look, all these stations, they don't care about the liberal talk. I mean, God bless Ed Schultz, Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, all the people who are out there doing liberal talk, but it's a tiny sliver of the pie, right? Uh, they're not concerned about that. They just do that as cover, like, oh, no, 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 it's not a right-wing thing. It's, it, it, both sides have a problem. The other side already had a problem, <laughs> okay? But a conservative talk was supposed to be awesome and the best. Now, all of a sudden, you find out it's chwang, wang, wang. That's not the case. Now... Listen to Jack Swanson. He's another one of these guys that have been programming conservative talk, uh, what people considered very successful at KGO in San Francisco. 
He says the hard left-wing stations, again, which ones are those? Anyway, and hard right-wing stations that were voted on by their fans in the diary, which is more of a popularity contest, seem to be not doing so well. All right, there we have it. That's the real answer. Okay, now, for a lot of you don't know this, because why should you? You're not in the industry. But radio used to be uh, rated by what they called diaries. They'd give somebody... Uh, a ratings book and they say alright tell me what you listen to every 15 minutes for the last three months <laughs> nobody would remember a damn thing they just write whatever they thought they listened to I don't know I guess I listen to Rush at some point everybody's always talking about Rush I guess I listen to those wacky morning guys whatever it is they made it up nobody actually kept track oh this 15 minutes I listened to this station it was nonsense and I've been saying that forever okay I was in the business I know what in our ratings were terrific when we were on the radio it's still nonsense, okay? And so, now they switch to people meters. These are gadgets that record what you actually listen to when you're within, close enough to a radio where it can pick up the signal. It does it for you. You don't have to uh, write down anything. You don't have to remember anything. So that's 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more accurate, right? So now that you've got these accurate ratings, all of a sudden it turns out all those conservative talk shows sucked. They never had good ratings in the first place. They're, a lot of people are reporting this as their ratings are dropping. No, no, no. Their ratings aren't dropping. We're finding out what their real ratings always were. They're just dropping from the fake ratings that they had. All this invincible conservative talk radio was a mirage. Okay, it was just based on lies and a terrible way of recording ratings. And uh, Michael Harrison, who's considered you know, the preeminent expert on this talk radio business, said this, quote, If you have a controversial host, you have to put up with a lot of heat from special interest groups, and sometimes the FCC. If the host is worth it, you keep him or suspend him. Like, you know, slap on the wrist. But when the heat outweighs the benefits, you get rid of him. And what I'm telling you is, that's going to start happening in a lot of cases. And when that happens and you see the man behind the curtain, and he ain't all that, it's going to be an interesting paradigm shift in this country. And we're going to see, you know, what kind of effect that has. Can Rush Limbaugh intimidate all the politicians that he does now, at least on the Republican side, the way he used to, if they find out nobody actually listens to him? You go left, I go right. Touch down the street, like a chip coffee, and I got my tea. Watch some TV. Good morning, sir. It's good to see you again. So good to see you again. Good morning. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. The Fox News host, uh, Glenn Beck is leaving Fox News and is starting his own network. It is maybe going to be on the internet, I think, instead of TV, I'm not sure, but I hear that it's going to be called GBTV, or Glenn Beck Television, which makes sense, of course. Uh, we also know that since his big restoring honor rally on the National Mall last summer, Mr. Beck's TV ratings on Fox News have slid. Uh, he's lost more than a third of his audience, which may be giving investors in his new internet kingdom something of a shiver. Uh, he still does have a giant audience, of course, but it is sliding. And interestingly, so are the ratings of 
conservative talk radio hosts, Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. They are the number one and number two uh, talkers in conservative talk radio. Their ratings, like Mr. Beck's, have also been sliding. Mr. Limbaugh's are down uh, by 33% from last year. Mr. Hannity's are off by 28% from the fall. And I don't say this as a point of competition. I don't mean that in terms of, you know, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, MSNBC, vis-a-vis -vis other networks. I don't mean that in terms of liberals versus conservative and talk radio. I just mean that in terms of its political implications. Those numbers about the rating slipping on the right, those, those are the kinds of things that I'm sure give liberals a little frisson of glee. Um, but honestly, to keep it in perspective, that sort of thing probably does not worry these hosts very much. It probably doesn't worry conservatives all that much, broadly speaking. Even with a 33% ratings drop, Mr. Limbaugh still has really giant ratings. He has had giant ratings since I was a kid. He has remade the radio universe in the image of his success. Still, to this day, a quarter century after Mr. Limbaugh started his program, almost all of talk radio and all of right-wing talk radio, which is still almost all there is, uh, and almost all of conservative TV now, it's, it's all pretty directly derivative from one really part of Rush Limbaugh's formula for talking to conservatives and for getting really big ratings out of a conservative audience. The formula for conservative media is Rush Limbaugh's formula. It, it is Rush Limbaugh. And, and I really think this formula, this special Rushnessosity, is, is an underappreciated ingredient in his success and in the success of conservative media more broadly. I also think it explains why the big, supposedly confusing thing in presidential politics right now, uh, the only campaign story that anyone wants to talk about today, uh, is not actually confusing. I think it makes sense. There just has to be a backlash against the drive-by media. Mikhail Gorbachev, Lenin, Stalin never got this kind of coverage from their media. And they owned it. And they dictated to it. The story is the drive-by media turning on its favorite maverick trying to take him out. I'll tell you, it's one thing to deal with the liberalism of the drive-bys, but their stupidity is what's really frustrating. The point is, the drive-bys, they don't just sit around and report. They're not just biased, and they're not just liberals. They are trying to influence the outcome of events in in ways of course in which they choose the drive-by media has cast aside any any pretense at objectivity they have taken up with the democrat party and they are both going to go down going to go down the drive-by media is not just reporting the story the drive-by media is influencing events thank god almighty you've made your way to the safety of this show we're not the drive-by media the message implicitly is that Rush Limbaugh is speaking to you, for you. Rush Limbaugh understands the world. Rush Limbaugh understands you. You may think there's no one left to trust in all the world. You certainly can't trust anybody else in the media. But you can trust Rush Limbaugh because he's onto him. This, this is a very specific formula that has made conservative media successful for a quarter century now. It is locking up your audience in a way that excludes their participation in any other form of media. It's an implicit message. It's pervasive in, 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 in right-wing media. It's complete. You cannot trust anyone else. Trust me. Trust us. Don't touch that dial. Rush Limbaugh's audience is filled with people who swear off listening to the lamestream liberal drive-by media and instead give themselves over wholly to him. His audience calls themselves ditto heads, right? Because listening to him, belonging to him is part of who they are. Fox News took the Rush Limbaugh formula and adapted it for television in 1996. The Fox News slogan of fair and balanced 
when what they're mostly doing is right-wing commentary, has always seemed to the rest of the world like an affront. Fair and balanced, it's like a mockery of the terms fair and balanced. But to the Fox audience, it is really the core of what they are offering. You cannot trust anyone else to talk to you. Everyone else is out to get you. Ask somebody who is a Fox News aficionado what they think about the fair and balanced slogan. You will hear them use it without irony and with criticism because they believe that the only place they can get fairness and balance is from Fox, that the rest of the media is biased and only Fox is the truth. They are selling their audience grievance, resentment, and belonging. And it's really effective. The success of that formula in far-right media made it inevitable, I believe, that we would get this weekend spectacle of a presidential hopeful overtly proclaiming avoidance of the lamestream media as a central part of her political platform. It has seemed inevitable enough, in fact, that I predicted a few weeks ago that this would happen. I predict that there will be a candidate from the right side of the Republican Party, it may be Sarah Palin, somebody else, but they will establish a new litmus test for Republican candidates, which is that they do not do mainstream media interviews. That doing a mainstream media interview is itself a capitulation that only conservative media should be engaged with. Meaning Fox the nominee. Limbaugh Radio. That's right. Well, if I'm on a GOP bus, that is a depressing, <laughs> depressing hey, prediction. Hey, I'm always wrong. <laughs> Okay, so this time, not wrong. Here. Uh, by the way, I don't know exactly know why we're showing this picture, except to say that one of our producers was out on the street in New York when Donald Palin and Sarah Trump were seen. Donald Palin and Sarah Trump. Donald Trump and Sarah Palin were seen out on the street. I, I wish I could say that it was an accident or dumb luck when I said that somebody would start running for president, maybe Sarah Palin, by saying that she would run for president by not speaking to the mainstream media. But I think this is the Rush Limbaugh Fox News model of running against the media to maximize your adherence. I think when we stopped being able to tell politicians from celebrities on the right, the I won't talk to reporters presidential campaign, however far-fetched it seems, was probably inevitable. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. If I had to pick a common theme out of the comments and emails I get concerning Moment of Clarity, it's people telling me they're just excited to see that they aren't alone. They're thrilled that someone else cares about this shit. And today's episode is simply to say, you're truly not alone. There are protests going on around the world showing that people are done being afraid of corporate warlords. Sure, the mainstream media won't cover this popular uprising. They're too busy covering the Fox News-created 
sandbag rallies and the Botox being injected into a five-year-old beauty queen. And if that beauty queen plays her cards right and lacks all intellectual curiosity and gets to the third round of America's Got Talent when she's 19 and then puts out an album and then puts out a movie and then puts out for a producer and then starts a successful blog, she too can one day be a respected journalist on MSNBC or CNN as long as she makes sure to avoid any and all journalism training. The mainstream media can't cover this popular awakening because you realizing you have a voice and can make a difference fucking sucks for their ratings. Half the ads on news shows are for various are for various pills to numb you to reality, knock you out, stamp out anger, depression, sexual frustration, and regular frustration because those things often make you want to turn off the TV and demand a better world. And a better world is a punch to the dick for Nielsen ratings, and therefore drug companies, and therefore Wall Street. I don't know about you, but I'm buying stock in the companies that produce pitchforks, slingshots, and two-by-fours, sacks of doorknobs, black spray paint and baseball bats with rusty nails through them. I don't know what kind of fucked up company makes that shit, but I'm getting in on the ground floor. And then Wall Street will be happy because investors will be able to make a boatload of money just before they're run out of town. It's the invisible hand of the free market putting its thumb up its ass. But honestly, we could force the media to cover this shit, to cover Wisconsin and Ohio, to cover police choking and arresting activists because they're dancing at the Jefferson Memorial, to cover the gorilla drive-in movie we projected on the side of the Koch Brothers Theater in New York. How do we do it? Step one, turn off your TV. Step two, drop your pants. Step three, take a dump on said TV. It'll be tougher if you've got a flat screen, but you'll be thankful later that you worked out the logistics. Next, get your news elsewhere from now on. Get it from Democracy Now! or TheRealNews.com or Truthout.org or Alternet. You're even better off getting it from a novel like 1984 or Catch-22. Hell, get it from the schizophrenic who lives under your stairs and figures out the weather by reading the chakra of his steamed okra. You can even get your news from a Glenn Beck book. Just read it backwards and upside down while inhaling varnish fumes. And how will this make CNN cover the protests? Mainstream media goes where the money is. As sure as a heavyset 19-year-old owns a vintage t-shirt with Yoshi on it, as sure as every missing white girl must have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, while every missing black girl must have been hanging out with the wrong type of people, as sure as employees at clothing stores think you look great in that, as sure as every recent college grad better know how to run a deep fryer and a milkshake machine, as sure as the tattoo of that Chinese symbol on your arm is going to feel a little awkward when China purchases our Federal Reserve. The mainstream media will go where the ratings and the money are like an American eight-year-old to his asthma inhaler. But whether they cover it or not, you are not alone. There are millions of us who can't see a future in the way things are going, who regardless of political affiliation are, first and foremost, anti-corporate ownership of our society, and who are willing to stand up and let it be known. So the final step to this plan, talk to people. 
Don't argue with them about the smaller issues. We can wait until later to sort out whether the ever-dangerous sugary candy should be allowed in the high school vending machine next to the Plan B pills and the extra AK-47 clips. Instead of doing that shit, simply tell people that corporations don't care about men or women or children. They only care about money and money, and then if they have a little time left over, money. And like a shirtless hair gel conduit in a Twilight movie, corporations are sucking the lifeblood out of us and leaving us with nothing to show for it but a pillaged society and a fiery case of gonorrhea. And those corporations own our lives and our political system. Tell people this and I'll bet you, I'll bet you, you'll find an impressive number agree with you. And the truth is, the topic will come up anyway because they'll wonder why your television smells like shit and you'll say, The Bachelorette was just on. You're not alone. You're not alone. Hi, my name is Eric from Alabama. I <clears throat> uh, wanted to share my story about the uh, Osama bin Laden killing. Um, I was a senior during 9-11, and uh, before then, I had decided that I was going to be a helicopter pilot for the Coast Guard and go save people. And a little while after 9-11, I decided I was going to be a combat helicopter pilot for the Army and go um, help out the cause. So I did. I uh, went to college, joined the Army. I'm a, I'm a combat helicopter pilot now. Um, the problem I have with the people in the streets celebrating all this is that I view the killing of Osama bin Laden as a military victory and a military operation for a military cause to stop Al-Qaeda from their mission against our country. So. I look out and I see all these people partying in the streets, celebrating our military um, objective being reached, but I don't see them out there doing anything about our objective, our, our military losing people and soldiers who are being killed. And it angers me to the point of just rage because if the news was covering the deaths of soldiers as much as they were covering us getting uh, Sheikh Mohammed or us getting uh, Osama bin Laden or us getting Saddam for that matter. If they were covering every single time someone died, the public outcry would be huge. There would be way more people talking about how these wars need to be over and they would probably be over by now and I would not have to go over there and take care of business, okay? So that's my thoughts. Thank you very much. Oh, and just so you know, the next day after it was over, when I went to work, and I was standing around waiting for uh, PT to start, that's physical training, to start, um, my guys showed up, we were standing around the cars, just looked at each other and went, crazy, huh? Yeah, crazy. And that was the end of the discussion. That's it. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Bye. Hey Jay, it's Eric from Alabama again. 
I wanted to add a little something to what I said. I got pretty fired up and needed to get off, um, getting a little emotional. Um, I have, uh, <laughs> it's just weird to have like Facebook friends profiles that have turned into memorials and uh, phone numbers in my phone from people who have died and I can't bring myself to uh, erase them. That kind of story on, on a national news cycle might actually make something happen in this country. But in addition to that, I, um, I want your, uh, your fans to understand that I don't want them to go to their friends and say, hey, this is the viewpoint of the U.S. Army because this soldier said this and this. This is the viewpoint of me. I am not representing the Army as a whole, nor am I allowed to. In fact, if my boss knew I made this phone call, I'd probably get in a lot of trouble. So please, I implore you, don't go around telling your friends the viewpoint of the army is that we need to get out of Afghanistan. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Now, today, I'm asking for your reaction to something you just heard uh, at the end of the show. The final two clips of this episode were definitely arranged consecutively on purpose, and I would like to hear what you think about them. If you did not already have a, at least a small epiphany when uh, when hearing those two clips back to back go back and listen to them again and then call in and let me know what you think i'm going to give you you know my thoughts on it yeah at least a couple of shows from now. So hopefully we'll have some some voicemails in by then and uh, and I will tell you what I think. Again, the number 206-202-3410 if you want to call in and uh, give your thoughts about those. If you listened all the way to the very end of the previous episode, uh, you may have heard a voicemail that I, I stuck way back there at the end. It was a voicemail that was critical and was also a terrible cell phone connection, so I didn't want to put it in, in kind of with the regular show. But it was critical of uh, Citizen Radio, a show which it, it only receives slightly less criticism than Mumia Abu-Jamal, who is a convicted uh, cop killer, as people so often like to point out to me. Um, and then these guys uh, just have a different way of doing a radio show that some people love, some people uh, don't really care about, and a, a small and a very vocal minority uh, cannot stand. So he called in and was critical of, uh, of Citizen Radio, one of the hosts, Jamie, uh, caught wind of this because a lot of his uh, listeners wrote to him to let him know what was going on, and he asked if he could be allowed to respond. And in in a fashion that did not surprise me at all, uh, he <laughs> he called in with a voicemail of epic length. And um, you know, it's he. If you get him talking for 15 seconds, it is really difficult to get him to stop for, uh, you know, 10 minutes or so. And that's close to how long he spoke. So, uh, you know, I told him, I was like, well, that's not going to fit in the show. I can't put that in the uh, in the voicemail section, but I will definitely stick it at the very end. So that's what's happening at the end of the show today. If you want to stick around for uh, a very long uh, response, kind of a, a self-defense uh, by, by Jamie talking uh, you know about the show and uh, referencing a couple of voicemailers who have called in and left messages on, on this program recently 
criticizing him and his program. So that's going to do it for today. I just want to thank a bunch of people, uh, volunteers, Mike, Colette, Todd, Joe, Laura, and Lauren, uh, help keep the show running behind the scenes and a couple of members, uh, who, you know, feed and clothe and house me. Uh, Sarah S signed up for a leftist monthly membership back on November 13th and has stuck with the show since then. And Ronald G, uh, signed up for a socialist monthly membership, uh, even further back on September 21st. So huge thanks to Ronald and Sarah and all of the members and donors who keep the show going. Uh, I couldn't do it without you guys. And, uh, well, I couldn't do a lot of things without you guys. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. Uh, stay tuned into the show and help spread the word online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can even donate your Twitter account, uh, as well. That is linked up at bestofleft.com, of course. For details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all those details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought of black and white, took apart a picture that wasn't right. Burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor your friend Jamie Kilstein, uh, one of the hosts of Citizen Radio, a show which you so kindly play uh, on your program, Best of the Left. Uh, I got some frantic emails and tweets from mutual fans of ours uh, today saying that there were some mean voicemails uh, directed at Citizen Radio in the last couple of days. Now, uh, they were terrified. As you know, Citizen Radio fans, uh, they're outcasts. Uh, they're, I'm an outcast, uh, we're easily shaken. Uh, anytime I hear something negative, I, I immediately think back to my father uh, scolding me for, for not going to college. Uh, we don't take it well. So like a mature adult, I frantically text messaged you and was like, what the fuck is going on? Send me those messages. Why do people hate me? And I listened to them. So I thought I'd respond because you have this really cool uh, outlet for people to have conversations on your show. Um, now, I was going to uh, – I make a living as a comedian, as a writer. I was going to write out something very articulate. I was going to address the two uh, people that had complaints uh, point by point. But instead, I thought I would just call and, and improvise from a blind rage, which is usually more productive, I think. So here we go. Um, the first person was that I heard was responding to the the section that Allison and I did. Uh, we were talking about Obama, and we were talking about how you know it's really important for liberals to to hold Obama accountable. And you know during the rant we mentioned uh, our veganism and and stuff like that. So first we'll go Obama, then we'll go veganism. The Obama thing. It's just simple. Like I listened to, I re-listened to what we said, and we just listed very right-wing facts that Obama 
uh, is carrying out his policy. We didn't editorialize. I mean, we did editorialize, but I mean, the main our main premise was lifting these facts. And I think that I think that is really important. Um, I think that the reason that when you fight with a, a family member as opposed to fighting with a stranger. I think the reason when you fight with a family, it's so much more heated uh, is because you care about that family and you want that family member to succeed, which is why uh, all the anger comes out. So, you know, I voted for Barack Obama and that's, you know, what hurts the most. I mean, we had a chance to get uh, a public option, which I know your fans want. We had a chance to, you know, we, we could uh, end these wars instead of, you know, your caller was like Obama uh, said, he was going to stay in Afghanistan. Absolutely. Uh, and I know that. And we've talked about that on the show. Um, I don't agree with it. I think it's horrible. I think that, you know, we're still losing Americans and killing civilians every day. Uh, but Obama didn't say he was going to go into Libya. Obama didn't say he was going to kill civilians in Pakistan. Bomb weddings, dude. Bomb weddings in Pakistan. Imagine if that was your wedding, if that was your family. You know, do, does that mean that Citizen Radio thinks Obama's an evil guy? No. But the problem is, if, if Democrats... You know, you look at what happened with Sarah Palin this week, where Sarah Palin makes that stupid flub uh, about history, right? And what do her supporters do? Do they say, yeah, it was a stupid mistake. Let's talk about something more important. No, they go on wiki, <laughs> they go on uh, Wikipedia, and they try to edit history. We don't want to be like that. We're better than that. That's what Democrats are. I mean, you know, you look at what we stand for. What do we stand for? We stand for science. We stand for reason. We stand for tolerance. We stand for equality. Don't run from that. Just because it's our guy doesn't mean that we shouldn't question him and hold him uh, accountable. That doesn't mean we think about the bad person. It doesn't mean we're just trying to shit talk or, you know, shit all over this guy. It's saying that if, you know, one of our first guests uh, on the show said that he was supporting Obama. This was before the election. It was Eugene Jarecki who directed uh, that really great documentary on the military industrial complex. And he goes, I think Obama's a good person. I think he's a good man. But if Barack Obama doesn't look out that window, I mean, he's facing a broken Washington, a corrupt Washington that, uh, you know, it's funded by millionaires and billionaires, these billion-dollar industries. And, you know, what do we have to compete with that? Well, we have our voice. And if we don't use our voice, we're going to get trampled. If Barack Obama doesn't look out the window uh, and point to these lobbyists from the military-industrial complex, from the pharmaceutical companies, and, and, and if he can't point to millions of people saying we demand universal health care, we demand an end to these wars, uh, then we got nothing. We have absolutely nothing. So we have to be able to criticize those people or else they're going to walk all over us. And maybe it's not Obama that wants to, but his administration and where he's getting the money, where he's going to raise that billion-dollar campaign, they're the people that are saying, you know what, if your voters are going to let you do whatever you want, then let's appease to the special interests because the special interests are going to give us money. Uh, with the vegan thing, again, dude, it's like the U.N., came out and they said that uh, factory farming is the, is the number one contributor to global warming. Uh, we have plenty of people who listen to the show that aren't vegans. And we can joke with them, we can make fun of them, but more importantly, we can answer their questions. And most importantly, uh, I've gotten over a thousand emails of people who have gone vegan because of the show. Because, you know, your listener goes, I just want to eat what I like. Just let, I want to listen to a goddamn radio show and not have to ruin my goddamn dinner. You know, it's like how selfish is that? Because, sure, maybe you for those five minutes that we talk about veganism. But the bottom line is we have a thousand kids who just went vegan, a thousand kids who aren't supporting factory farms, a thousand kids who 
you know, are, are now doing everything in their power to stop global warming. And that's awesome. You're going to take that away because I want to eat my chicken fried steak, 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 fried burger. Like, come on, man. Be better than that. If you're still going to eat it, like, let us be good. Uh, you know, people always, you know, I'm not saying you have to be vegan. Uh, I had this one dude, the first time I was a vegan, uh, or the first day I became a vegan, I told him I was in Seattle, Washington, because uh, I thought it was the law. And I, uh, I told the kid at the counter, I go, hey, do you have anything vegan? And he looks at me and he goes, uh, why do you hate God? And it's like, holy shit, what? Why do you, again, just let me be good. You know what I mean? Like he goes, God created animals for a reason. And it's like, again, I've helped old people across the street, and you wouldn't be like, God created buses for a reason, or, you know, oh, the kid's choking, God created marbles for a reason, or oh, that family's being kicked out of their house, God created Bank of America for a reason. Just, just let them do it. It's like, no, man, just let people who want to try to help fucking help. Just because you have a clear uh, complex that you're projecting and you feel guilty doesn't mean you have to you know, ruin it for the thousands of kids who have gone vegan because of uh, Citizen Radio. And then I, I've run much longer than I meant to, but the, uh, the last guy who I believe the exact thing he had a problem with was our smug smugness. Um, and then he went on to say uh, that Citizen Radio is not consistent uh, when it comes to abortion and Planned Parenthood. And then he backed that up. With nothing. He didn't say what we weren't consistent about. He didn't say uh, where we weren't consistent. I mean, so here we go. Unequivocally, uh, Citizen Radio believes in a woman's right to choose. Done. I don't know what's not to be consistent about that. Uh, we believe in a woman's right to choose, and we believe in contraception. We believe that the government shouldn't be uh, involved in a woman's uh, naughty bits. And we think uh, it's up to her. And, uh, you know, abortion can be really hard uh, and, and scary. And the last thing we want are girls to feel like they're uh, threatened even more by law enforcement or by the government or by doctors who have to, you know, try to scare these poor fucking girls um, by, you know, saying, oh, well, maybe the fetus can feel and just all this creepy uh, nonsense. So, I mean, I think that's pretty simple right there. And uh, that's it. I just wanted to have um, a chance to respond. I got to be honest, man. So many of our fans have come from you. Uh, we're really big supporters of you. Uh, we're really big supporters of uh, the majority of your listeners. Um, I mean, they've really been wonderful. And uh, I think your show is important. I think that liberals need to stop fucking infighting. I think that, um, you know, if you have a problem with us, that's cool. But other people want to hear it, so you know, let them hear it. No need to, uh, no need to hint to Jay that you want him to stop. <laughs> we get it. We know what you're trying to do. Uh, and really, thank you guys uh, for supporting Liberal Podcasts. Uh, it, it's and, and thanks for donating to shows like Jay. It, it, it's the only way that we can overtake the awfulness that plagues our television uh, with pictures of Anthony Weiner's penis. So uh, thank you guys. Take care. I hope it didn't sound uh, like I was using my smug smugginess. And uh, and really, you guys, uh, you do an awesome job over there, Jay. Thanks a lot. Bye.